Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. They gave me an easy one. Ooh, guys, that last hymn was a tearjerker. I don't know about you, but I'm <clears throat> okay. I'm gonna be fine, though, right? You're gonna be fine. Um, I'm Britt Bullerjack. I am one of the pastors here at OKC First. Specifically, I have the privilege of working with our college students, and they're pretty fabulous. Love and adore them. Um, a few people have asked me why I wear a collar, and gosh, I gotta tell you, every time I preach, I find new reasons to enjoy <laughs> not having to pick out my clothes. I don't know about you, but I get pretty nervous before I present something that has been affecting me for over a week. And it's a reminder of the weight and responsibility of preaching. And it helps me look a little more pastorly, right? Some pastors have some height to do that for them. And I, I tend to have to lean on uniform because then at least people recognize me as a pastor. Um, and if you've heard me preach before, you know that one of my favorite reasons to wear a collar is so that, oh, and I cry every time, guys, sorry, so that little girls in our church will know that God can call them to be a preacher. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but I don't do it alone, right? So uh, I do it with my husband. He is also a pastor here at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. This is a picture of us at last year's Memorial Marathon, encouraging the many runners that came by from the half marathon. And um, you can see we are very encouraging, very encouraging. And um, we make a great team. (laughs) I don't know if you've noticed that. We really do make a great team. Um, We live over in War Acres, very close to here, and with our five beautiful chickens. There they are, yes. And... um, They have names and stories and personalities. That one's Laurel on the left there. She's my favorite. She's named after my mom who's here this morning. Um, That's Olive Winchester. I don't know about you, but um, when I get an email from my vet reminding me that Phoebe Palmer and Olive Winchester are due for some shots and stuff, like, it's just a thrill in my little soul. Like, (laughs) I, I know, right? Because it's just the cutest little thing. Of course they do. Of course they do. They do. So this past January, 
I went on a 30-day zero-waste challenge. Uh, if you're like part of my Facebook community, you may have noticed this happening on my social media platforms because I did try to keep myself accountable like you do with your New Year's resolutions. And zero-waste isn't so much necessarily about being absolutely zero-waste, but the goal is to produce as little trash as possible. So this is day one. Right out of the gate, I went shopping. I had made myself some muslin produce bags, and um, there's me like checking out. I'm so excited, I'm taking pictures of everything. It's like having something you know new and shiny, and you're so excited about it, and it's going to be great. It's going to be great, guys, and I was super pumped. And um, this day especially, I Instagram arranged my um, produce there. You can see there on the left, because I was just so proud of what I had accomplished. And the, the little like sticker and sticker produce stickers, like that's all the trash that I produced in this shopping outing. So I was, I was very proud of myself, right? <clears throat> so I realized that I was quickly finding myself in situations where I needed something that I didn't have in order to not produce any trash. So I find myself in need of coffee. I don't know if you know that feeling. If you're a parent, you're probably aware of the feeling of needing coffee. And I, need, and I would need coffee, and I would be close to a Starbucks on my way to somewhere and just think, oh, I can't, I can't order that cup of coffee because I don't have a coffee mug with me, or I don't have a thermos, I don't have this, I don't have that. So I ended up creating this little like car kit, which is essentially like a wooden crate of things that I thrifted that would help me not produce any trash. So I have like canvas bags, muslin bags, a couple of hankies that are embroidered with Oklahoma. I think I won those at the last Zambia auction. You should go to those guys. And there's a water bottle and a couple different coffee mugs because you never know how much coffee you really need until you need it. And and this was very helpful, right? It kind of aided me on my journey, and um, I still, to this day, use actually quite a few things in there quite often. Um, and then I started making things, because some things come in packaging that isn't really that recyclable. So I, I juiced my own orange juice. I made my own almond milk, which takes forever and is really disgusting. I never recommend that to anyone. And I made a very simple rustic no-cook jam, which actually my husband was very gracious and said that it was good, so that was nice. Um, and I made my own toothpaste. I've been wanting to do this for a really long time, but this challenge kind of gave me um, an excuse to actually try it out. So it's really easy. It's just like coconut oil and baking soda and um, the essential oil of your choice. So mine's spearmint, because I'm not a peppermint person. Sorry, peppermint people. And I got a bamboo toothbrush, right? Because I had heard that toothbrushes almost exclusively get thrown away because very few of them are actually recyclable. So those are just a few of the things. And then I started kind of collecting things, making things. My mom got me a lunchbox, which was super helpful. I made kind of a little caddy for some silverware and a straw and a napkin. And I got one of these, Aaron thrifted me actually this, do you know what these are? Some, some of you know, it's like a little red thing right there. Yeah, it's like a hot water bottle. Um, I get very cold at night, and so having something like this, super handy. I, you can thrift for them, guys. They're everywhere. It's really great. <clears throat> so this, just to give you an idea, is week one and week two of the trash that I produced. So by the end of the challenge, I had produced about the same amount of trash as you might fit in the average Walmart sack, right? So kind of, you know... Uh, the yay big trash. I didn't bring the trash with me because I've already thrown it away because um, it was a while ago. But <clears throat> So this is week 
one there on the left. And, you know, you have the usual, like, gift cards, my 2017 look, keep it local card, right? They're not recyclable. And um, some vitamin C packets because I did get sick. And frozen blueberries that I had already had in my freezer. And then week two, I had a bag of coffee. I still haven't 100% had to figured out how to get coffee. Zero waste. I may never figure that one out, but we'll see. And, yeah, dish brush random plastic from things. So yes, so this was my January, and this is my 30-day zero waste challenge. Um, and some people have, oh, oh, and I also watched a lot of documentaries. Let me not change that, because they were so inspiring. Like this, the average American produces 4.4 pounds of trash per day. And when you think about the planet, it's really big, right? But that's actually a lot of trash. And so there's like a lot of things out there, and they especially kind of get into our oceans. I watched a documentary about trash floating in oceans. Don't do that, guys. It's really sad. And um, this one really stuck with me, still sticks with me. Every toothbrush you've ever used is still on the planet somewhere. Um, and let's see. A lot of people have asked me since January 30th, my 30-day zero-waste challenge, are you still zero-waste? Am I, am I still zero-waste? Well, <clears throat> no, because um, there are some things that is almost impossible to eat without producing trash. I, I went to Chipotle, which I love dearly, and I said, I, I brought my own container, and I just want to get my, like, my Chipotle in this container. And the guy's eyes bugged out. You think that I would have asked him this terrible thing. And he was like, oh, we cannot take anything over the glass because that's against health code. He was like very, very upset that I had really even suggested this. And rather than walking away and being strong and not getting Chipotle, <clears throat> I actually did get the Chipotle, right? Um, I did end up recycling some of this. The, the forks and the aluminum foil in particular are not recyclable, so that was for sure wasted. But um, I walked away from this 30-day zero-waste challenge, and I have gone back to some of my old habits. Like, I'll admit that. It was really hard, and I had to really change a lot of my life to be zero-waste for 30 days. Some, some changes were easy. Um, buying a new toothbrush, no big. But other changes were time-consuming and really hard. Um, but I think the 30-day zero-waste challenge changed the way I see I think it changed the way I see the world. I think it changed the way I see plastic. I think it changed the way I see my coffee at Starbucks. It changed the way I see things on the ground. Um, I actually, for my homework this week, I read about a monk who, who had adopted as one of his spiritual practices to pick up every piece of trash he ever encountered. And it was his way of recognizing something that other people had chosen not to see, the litter on the ground. And something about this challenge, even though I didn't keep all the practices that I had been doing so strongly for that challenge, it changed me and it changed the way that I see, it changed my eyesight. And I think this is a, this is a good metaphor for Lent, right? Because some people want to say, oh, you know, you just give up a thing for 40 days, and then after the 40 days is over, you just go right back to everything that you were doing before. And that may be true. But I hope Lent changes the way you see. I hope you notice something that you hadn't noticed before. Maybe you've noticed how distracted you were because you gave up social media, and suddenly you realize how many times a day you think about your social media. 
Maybe you realize how unhealthy you were or how many sugary things you were eating because you gave up sugar. Maybe you gave up something you didn't think was going to be meaningful and now you notice it all the time that you can't have one even though you really want one. Maybe you chose to add a practice instead of taking a practice away and what you've noticed there is how much it's affecting your life. Something about Lent changes the way that we see. And I wanted to preface that, oh, uh, this is a picture of toothbrushes on a beach, which is super sad, right? So this, it changed the way that I see, right? I see things differently now. You get that. So where we are today is in Mark 8. And um, shout out to Mark, guys. This book is great. Um, I, I know, right? Um, I have spent the majority of my academic life studying Luke and Acts. If you know me, Luke Acts, man, it's my jam. Huge fan. And I was given this passage to preach this morning, and as a kind of practice around that, I read largely the, most of the book of Mark in one sitting, um, because that's kind of the way that you sort of get a bird's eye view of what that author was really trying to convey. I mean, imagine if you opened up a novel once a week and read a paragraph and then closed it, right? You might not understand really what the author is trying to get across. So Mark is a lot that way, and it's actually super short, guys. I don't know if you know this, but the average reader can get through Mark in less than an hour. Less than an hour, right? So if you've been avoiding scripture for a while because it makes you nervous, you should dive into the book of Mark. Maybe just sit down with the book of Mark. I actually, um, one of the many commentaries that I read this week is called Mark for Everyone. You can get this specific coffee in Jason's office like I did, or... (laughs) Or you can go to Amazon and get a copy of your own. But um, it was super, super helpful, right? It's, it's very small, very thin. It's written um, very uh, conversationally. N.T. Wright, guys, it just has a really great style, and this book is super accessible. So if you're looking for a way to dive into the book of Mark specifically, highly recommend. I know you came here for book recommendations, so I wanted to fulfill that for you. Okay, so part of what we're doing here is we're looking at, I've kind of zoomed out just a little bit from today's passage to kind of address the section, because this section of Mark is about the cluelessness of the disciples, Um, and it is kind of bookended. There's several stories of cluelessness, and um, they're bookended by these two stories of blindness, which I think is really interesting. They're the only two stories of blindness in Mark, in the book of Mark, as if, as if the writer's trying to say, look how blind these disciples are, and Jesus is trying to help them see. So we won't talk about um, the first, the first um, story of blindness, but we'll talk about the second one. And the passage right before, ooh, oh, guys, I have such small ears. Okay. Um, The passage right before today's scripture reading is actually pretty important to understanding what's going on. So real quick, we're going to read it. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, this is Mark 8, 27. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, you're going to have to scroll backwards just a hair. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Oh, right, I have the clicker. And they answered him, John the Baptist Other people say, you're Elijah. Other people say, you're one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, right? Eager beaver, me, pick me. Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And I think this sounded to Jesus a little bit like a kid who uses a word that they clearly do not know 
what it means. Have you ever encountered a kid who says something and you just look them in the face and you say, you know what that means? Do you, do you really know what that means? And they're like, oh yeah, it totally means this. And um, usually it's hilarious, right? Because actually it has very little to do with the real meaning often. Not that some kids aren't right, because some of them are. Some of them are Aaron Bullerjack when they were a kid. Um, right? So Jesus hears Peter use this word and sets out to go about helping him learn what it means. So in the next verse, he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. If a kid uses a word, clearly doesn't know what it means, like, maybe you shouldn't use that word. You know, maybe you should wait till you kind of get it, and, and we'll talk about it later, right? We'll t- I'll tell you when you're older. Here we go. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. And this word began... In, in English, it sort of reads like a transition word. Like, I was telling you this story, and now I'm telling you this story. But actually, in the original language, um, this is something that Jesus has never done before. And it should read maybe more like, from that point on. From that point on, now that you've recognized me as the Messiah, now that you know what we're really talking about, now i got to tell you what it means and help you figure it out. So from that point on, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So the disciples sort of have an idea of what Messiah means. They could probably give you a definition in that moment. But Messiah, meaning anointed one, um, referred a lot of times to a king who was anointed when they were enthroned, when they began their reign. And so the disciples were probably waiting on somebody to rescue them from Roman political oppression, rule over them as a benevolent king. And while they may not have been expecting a military victory. This future is not what they had imagined. He said this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And this rebuke is actually a really stern rebuke. It's the same rebuke that Jesus will give to demons when he calls them to come out. This is an exorcism of this thought from Jesus' head, and it's intense. And Jesus turns, looks at his disciples, And it has to make example of this moment and rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Okay, so to illustrate this, you know that feeling when you want a cookie, but you've been trying to eat healthy, and someone near you who loves you and means well and maybe has a little shame for their own cookie eating says, if you want the cookie, just eat the cookie. And you're like, not helpful, dude. I am trying to eat healthy. I am trying to do what is right. Do you not need you to tempt me to take the easy way out? Of course Jesus doesn't want to die. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully man. And his, he did not need one of his disciples tempting him to take the easy way out because maybe in the back of his mind he had a glimmer of hope that it didn't have to be this way either which we can sort of see in the prayers at Gethsemane and so he's like whoa Pete I do not need help trying to save myself here I've got to go this other way and they just don't quite get it 
Yeah, we'll just keep going. So he calls the crowd with his disciples and says to them, so, so now that he's made an example of Peter to the disciples, he needs to t- he get the word out, right, that this is how this kingdom is going to be. This is the kind of Messiah that I am. This is the kind of kingdom that I'm bringing. And so this calling the crowd together with his disciples is really unusual for the biblical author and probably means that the author is saying to the readers, hey, this next teaching is for everyone, not just like an intense teaching for the disciples. Jesus means everyone to to hear these words. If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose it who lose their life for my sake and for the ga- sake of the gospel will save it. Wow, guys. Okay. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. I, and I have to tell you, this is a really heavy truth. And preaching this passage, even this morning, um, really weighed on me this week. Because frankly, if that is the truth, if this is the kind of kingdom we're headed towards, I'm with the disciples. I don't want to see it either. I, I want to keep my blindness. Maybe the reason that the disciples over and over and over through this section, three, four, five times, need to be retold what is really going on is that they're choosing their blindness and refusing to see, like, no, Jesus, don't say that. It's not going to be like that. It doesn't have to be this way. This kingdom is not about suffering love. It's about ruling benevolently and bringing us out of oppression and getting rid of all these ugly things that we've been dealing with for so long. It's not like that, Jesus. It's not like that. And they're trying so hard to keep their own worldview and refusing to see the truth. Because, guys, the truth is hard. The truth is heavy. The truth is deep. What will it profit them? to gain the whole world and forfeit their life. Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. It's as if Jesus is saying, don't run from suffering. Embrace it. In fact, I, I actually wrote this down because um, the message renders these verse, verses like this. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me. I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrificing love is the way, my way, to saving you, the real you, your true self. What good would it do for you to get everything you ever want and lose you, the real you? And what could you ever trade for your soul? One of the passages um, that has really affected me in my life is this story of the blind man at the end of this section. And I wanted to read it to you because it so illustrates what is happening here. And um, it's another metaphor, like I said, that the writer's using for for these things. And and let me just, a real quick shout out um, to Judy Cox, who introduced me to the Pray As You Go app. If you've been looking for an app to use in your devotional life, um, later after the sermon, you can, you know, whip out your phone. You can ask me if you forget. But um, it's called Pray As You Go. And one of the wonderful things that this app does is reads verses slowly. And 
asks deep questions and encourages you to find yourself in the story. So just for a quick moment, um, let's, let's try to find ourselves in this blind man, just real quick. And um, I've done this exercise so many times as part of the app. It's kind of one of their like staple things that you can get. And um, they have it all the time rather than just being a daily devotional. But um, I hope that you can hear yourself maybe in some of these words. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him. It's the same word, right? Rebuke. And told him to be quiet, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him over. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, get on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I've spent all week wrestling with these verses. Um, Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. To see Jesus, to follow Jesus. I wanted so badly to be able to tell you, to tell us concretely what it really means. And maybe I can interpret it just a little as stop living for yourself. Accept the consequences of a life for others and do as you see me do. And that's nice, and it might look nice on a greeting card or something. Um, But the truth is, I cannot tell you what these verses really mean for you. In 2009, Aaron and I got an email from his mom. And it was short and sweet. It just said, hey, some missionaries from Poland came and spoke at our church, and what they're doing sounds like you guys. And I just wanted you to know you should think about it. And Aaron, being the dutiful son that he is, printed this off, brought it to the apartment, and read it to me aloud. And I got to tell you, I laughed in his face. And the first thing I wanted to do was completely ignore that this ever happened. <clears throat> yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose some blindness here for a minute because no, we are not moving to Poland. No one we ever knew is moving to Poland. Nobody moves to Poland. Who even moves to Poland? People don't do that. Have you ever heard of somebody moving to Poland? I am not moving to Poland. And that was the end of that. And he said, whoa, sorry, I just thought you'd want to hear the email from my mom. Um, (laughs) And I did feel a little bad about that because I kind of went off. Um, But uh, over the course of several weeks, as you might imagine, um, suddenly everything that I'm reading and studying is about following Jesus. It's about going where God wants you to go and doing what God wants you to do. And I spent a solid eight weeks ignoring and choosing blindness. And we all do this maybe sometimes metaphorically. Have you ever been in a grocery store and you notice somebody going down an aisle that you clearly know, but you are not prepared for human interaction? 
And so you, as quickly as possible, um, choose a different aisle, even though you did not need anchovies, and you are intently looking through what is there just in case they might go by, right? Guys, I've done this so many times. Um, I, I hate to admit it, but I often choose blindness because you know what? If I see those people, I have to interact. I have to do something. I have to relate. I have to be a part of their lives. And sometimes that's a really hard thing to choose. And I had one of those moments. Eight weeks later on a train to Poland. I'm sorry, not to Poland. On a train to Dallas. Um, the, yeah. <laughs> Slip up there, right? Um, I was taking the Heartland Flyer from downtown OKC to downtown Fort Worth. Highly recommend, by the way. It is inexpensive and super fun. And um, I get on this train, have a seat, and this woman, uh, who's probably 22, sits next to me with her upright base in its case. And I don't know like, if you've seen these things in a case, but um, it was bigger than me. It was absolutely bigger than me. And it was with her, like, you know, she was kind of like backed up into her seat so that she could fit this thing like in front of her. And I was in the window seat, so this is in the aisle seat. <laughs> and I thought, I better introduce myself to this woman or it's gonna be a long four hours. And so, you know, even though I wasn't quite ready for human interaction, I, um, you know, reached over and I just said, hey, I'm Brit. And she said, hey, I'm Pola, I'm from Poland. <laughs> and up until this point in my life, I had never met anyone from Poland. <clears throat> and I got a little choked up and I said, mm -hmm, I, is that a common name in Poland? And she said, no, I'm the only Pola I've ever met. And I just knew in that moment, right? I had been, the veil had been lifted and I no longer had been choosing my blindness and I knew what God wanted me to do and I didn't miss a beat. I said, Pola, that's fascinating because I am moving to Poland. I didn't tell Aaron that story for two weeks because I felt like he should figure out for himself that he wanted to move to Poland. And so then, you know, that's actually a funny story because two weeks later, um, we are in this sermon at this little church that we were going to. And it was clearly for us. I mean, I, I could not have crafted a sermon that was less for us to go and do and to follow, even if it's hard. And we get in the car and we kind of do that thing where you just like close the door and you breathe a deep sigh and you're looking out the windshield. You're not even really looking at each other and you're like, oh. And Aaron says, well, when are we saying yes to this thing? <laughs> and I didn't even look over at him. I was just like, well, I'd already decided. I've just been waiting for you. <laughs> But uh, neither of us in that moment were particularly excited about the idea. Because you know what? It's hard. It's really hard. So i got to ask you the question, right? Where might you be choosing blindness? If you were really honest with yourself, deep down, what has God been calling you to do that you've been trying to ignore? Maybe you've been trying to ignore it because the call is big and it involves your whole self. You've been making excuses because you've been worried that God might call you to sell everything and move to Denmark. 
spoiler alert, most of you are probably not called to overseas missions, but I got to tell you, if it's not at least on the table, then you are holding back from God and you are trying to save yourself. See the world as God sees it, hurting, broken, in desperate need of suffering love that you have been given the ability to provide. The God who denied himself and picked up his cross is calling you to do the same. You see, when Christ calls us to deny ourselves, to drop everything, to take on suffering, to walk in the way of Jesus, he is not asking us to do anything he would not be willing to do himself. Do you want to see? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asks us. Rabbi, we want to see. We want to see. We do communion every week here at OKC First. And I think today it's particularly important to take the broken body and the shed blood and remember that we are not exempt. There's a popular thing to say, right? Jesus died so you don't have to. But it's a lie. The way of Jesus is the way of suffering love, is the way of the cross, and we are called to deny ourselves and follow whatever that means for you. Maybe it's volunteering at kids' club. Maybe it's loving people you've been refusing to love. Maybe it's sticking around after service to have a conversation with people that you've refused to have a conversation with or chosen not to see. You're called to be a part of this, and God wants to help you see Jesus asks What do you want me to do for you? And it is my hope and prayer that we might find it in ourselves to ask for sight. If you're coming up to help us today, won't you make your way to the table? We practice an open table here at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. Everyone is welcome, regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey. If you are aware of your need for grace, you are invited to this table. We use gluten-free bread so that hopefully everybody can be involved. And we use juice instead of alcohol so that no one is tempted by our eating and drinking. (sighs) Won't you pray with me? Father, bless these elements. As we take them, help us to hear your calling on our lives. Help us to hear your voice asking what we want, what we need, and help us to respond that we want to see. We want to know what it is that we are being called to, what it means for our individual selves and for our church body to deny ourselves and take up the suffering that comes with it and follow you. Be with us in these moments, we pray. Amen. We're going to kind of change it up a little bit this morning, so hopefully it's not confusing. Normally, at the end of my little blurb here, we would all stand up at the same time and kind of make our way to the aisles. But today, I would invite you to take a reverent posture of worship and prayer until your row is ready to go.
So once you see the row before you heading out, you can kind of follow suit once they're done. And just take your time. Invite you to worship beforehand, worship afterwards. Be with us as an act of worship. If you need a place to pray, we've got altars here, and it's a great place to kneel and surrender your will to God's will this morning. If you would like some prayers for healing, we have padded altars here at the sides with anointing oil, and one of our pastors will come and anoint you with oil for healing. Someone will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And you can take that bread and you can dip it in the cup. And someone will say to you, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. On the night he was betrayed, our Savior did these things. He took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said to us, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. And he blessed it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant shed for you. And each time that you do these things, remember me. Won't you join me a row at a time for communion? Come forward. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true, cause I am found, I am yours, I am loved, I'm made pure, I have
Would you pray with me? God, I confess that I am not perfect at this myself. That I choose to ignore your call in my life more often than I would like to admit. I often think of myself. I often do things to keep myself safe from what it is that you might be asking me to risk. Oh, merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by the things that we have done and by the things that we have chosen to leave undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry. We humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave up everything, have mercy on us and forgive us. Teach us to delight in your will, to walk in your way. In Christ's name we pray. Jason is going to lead us in some prayers for intercession. As we move now into these moments of prayers for intercession, would you please continue to take whatever posture of prayer that you want at this time. Some of you may want to gather at this altar. And I want to ask one of those folks who have said yes fully unto God in Kurt and Holly Johnson. This is their last Sunday with us, and we know we've prayed a prayer of commissioning for them, but Kurt and Holly, if you're comfortable, would you mind to come and gather at an altar so we can pray and bless you? I know some of your families gathered around you. If you want to come, come and gather around them. This will be their last Sunday with us before on Wednesday. They get on a plane for Copenhagen, Denmark. And uh, I want to ask Aaron if you could especially pray for them as they're going to go work in sweet surrender coffee shops, just like you did in Poland. Uh, you may have other prayers that you need at the close of our time. Uh, we'll have a time of lament. Um, but at these moments, we're going to have prayers of intercession. Would you pray together with me? 
Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the ways in which you are active in our lives, and we want to say thank you this morning for your work in Dr. Tashton's life, as Dr. Gerard Tashton has done so well in his recovery from open-heart surgery earlier this week. Lord, we ask for your continued healing and hand upon him. Would you bring him back to this fellowship and to his preaching post and word and table? Lord, would you be with that congregation as they wait and await his return? Be with Pastor Logan as he preaches and administers the sacraments at our earlier service. Lord, we ask that you would continue to come alongside of Donis and you would bless this family. We are grateful for what you've done and what you will continue to do in the life of Gerard Tashton. Lord, we want to pray especially for a few folk who need help in your presence. Lord, we ask that you would continue to come alongside of the McKenzie family. We ask you to be with Sam, with Josh, and with Bobby, and the loss of the beloved mom and wife and Debbie. And Lord, we ask that you would bless their lives with your presence. Lord, we ask that you'd be with all who have grieved in the recent past and are grieved in the loss of someone that they love even now, recently, or even a long time ago. Lord, I ask you would come alongside of our friend Steve Klug and the loss of his father and others, God, who have experienced funerals this past week and have a heart that is heavy. Lord, I ask that you would continue to come alongside of LaDonna Bennett. And if you have someone in your life that you know needs a healing touch from God, perhaps it's from cancer, would you mention their name now to God? name that came to my heart was Steve Weaver, a part of our fellowship who has cancer and also came down with the flu this week. God, would you please touch Steve? If there's an issue that is heavy on your heart in this church family, in your family, in our neighborhood, in our city, our state, our nation, or world, that that is whatever God is placing on your heart now that weighs heavy upon you, would you pray in intercession for that particular issue that God is placing on your heart now? Church, so many of you gathered around Curtin Holly now, but as you, um, before we get to a prayer of lament, um, I want to hand it over to Aaron to pray a prayer of commissioning for Kurt and Holly and the boys. God, we thank you so much for Kurt and Holly and for their family and for their willingness to go, for their willingness to say yes, for their willingness to give what they have to give, which is themselves. <sighs> Father, sometimes it's easy to pray and they need people to pray. Sometimes it's easy to give and they need people to give. Sometimes the hardest thing is to go and be endure ourselves. And so I pray that you would bless them and honor them for their willingness to give themselves over to you in ways that are entire. Keep them safe, we pray. Help them to travel well. Help them to settle quickly. Thank you for the support structure that they will have in Copenhagen and with the church in Greve, with Kaiova and his family and with Katie and her husband and all the volunteers. Use them, we pray. Help them to pour themselves out and trust that you will fill them back up. Call us as you have called them to support to pray, to give, to love. Help them to know every day that they are called by you and they are loved by you and by us. 
It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. As we continue in prayer, I want to ask Mark, as he's already probably done, to kind of phase out his moments and move to a moment of silence. During the season of Lent, we're going to have just about a minute of silence during each prayer season. And that minute of silence during the season of Lent will be a chance for you to offer a prayer of lament. A prayer of lament is a prayer asking, why God? And it's a prayer of lament that's asking that God might tune his heart and change the world about something in your heart that grieves you. And so in these moments of silence, we offer this quiet space for you to offer a prayer of lament at this time. Lord, hear our prayers. 60 seconds can seem like a lot when you're in a large room. But Heavenly Father, take our laments during this season. May our prayers rise to you. Let's continue and close our season of prayer with the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. In church together, the screen in front of you should carry those words, and you can pray this using debts and debtors. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.